Welcome to the Big Brew Theory Podcast, where we talk brews, news, and what you should choose. Enjoy unique insights from beverage industry experts, big and small, from startup to stardom. Get to know your favorite brews. And now your host, Andy Pedic. Greetings, beer lovers, and welcome to another episode of the Big Brew Theory Podcast. Today, I'm in Aurora, Colorado at Dry Dock Brewing, speaking with their head brewer, Alan Simons. Dry Dock is a special brewery because they build their business based specifically on the voice of the people. They supply for the demand, and because of that, they sell their product only in Colorado, although they are a fairly major producer as far as national classification is concerned. I'm going to jump straight in and let you listen to Alan's cool story and all the great stuff about one of my favorite breweries. Cheers. Disclaimer. The following content has been created for the listening pleasure of universal brew lovers. Our program is recorded live and unscripted. As such, any opinions or facts stated during these episodes are purely organic in conversation and personal views of the industry experts we interview. If you disagree with any stated information, please understand this program is created for the enjoyment of our listeners. We are unbiased and intend to promote the industry as a whole. If you don't like any content presented herein, please find another program rather than sending us nasty grams via comment or email. If you're among the other 99% to enjoy our show or someone who would like to contribute in any positive way, be sure to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Now, please enjoy the show. Okay, so I'm joined today by Alan Simons, the managing brewer of Dry Dock Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. We're actually at their South Dock location, located in Aurora, Colorado. Alan, thanks for being on the show today. No, you bet. Good to be here. So, we got a lot to cover. Dry Dock's a really interesting brewery and about a thousand questions, so let's dive straight in. Okay. Can you start by telling us the origin story behind Dry Dock. And let me paint a quick picture. The facility that we're in has a full tap house, brewing facility, storage facility, classroom, and a homebrew store. So it's my understanding (laughs) the homebrew store was kind of where this all originated? Yes, so the brew hut. And the brew hut's been around for 20-plus years. Kevin uh, DeLang and Michelle Redding came from Iowa. And... After moving here, they decided they wanted to buy the brew hut. So they bought the brew hut and ran that for a couple of years and decided they wanted to open a brewery. So they opened Dry Dock Brewing. And it was actually, obviously people can't see this, but in this facility here, it was they started the brewery behind the brew hut. So I actually brought, bought some, uh, some of my initial homebrew ingredients at the brew hut way back when, probably 11, 12 years ago now. And you could go get a, a pint of beer at the at the new brewery at Dry Dock and walk around and shop and get your homebrew equipment and uh, supplies. And it's come a long way over the last how many years? It has. We've been open our 12th anniversary is in October. Okay. And, yeah, so started out, I, I imagine, I don't know the exact numbers, but a, a few hundred barrels the first few years and then... At this facility, there was a smaller brewery in the back, and then they moved to a seven-barrel system in the front. And probably five years ago, I think they were doing upwards of 3,000 barrels a year on a seven-barrel system, which is very impressive. I think it was three or four brewers brewing all the time, and they started doing a little packaging and bombers. And then about four, four to five years ago, they opened North Dock, which is our... It's not so new anymore, but it's our uh, new production facility. I mean, now between the two breweries, we make about 21,000, 22,000 barrels a year. Wow. Yeah. 
God, it's amazing. You know, one of the biggest challenges with small breweries is getting your money's worth out of your equipment. You right. Know, you spend yeah. so much on that first 10 barrel tank. And right. You can't do it all, all day and all night. I, I did that here. I think that, I wasn't here for that. I'm kind of glad that I wasn't. But I, some guys that I know brewed here, and I think they did it all day and all night sometimes. Well, I've been there. I used to own a, a cidery in Washington. Okay. And now nice. I work with several different companies. Okay. But one of my business partners sells their product down here in Colorado with Western Distributing, which okay. also sells Dry Dock. Right. And so every time he came down here, he would come back, tell me all about this company, Dry Dock, and <laughs> They make a ton of beer, but I think they sell it all in Colorado, and you got to try it. And so I'm so glad to actually be here because I've been a social media fan from afar for oh, nice. several years yeah. now. We actually, yeah, we do sell it only in Colorado. I think we are the largest brewery that only sells their beer in Colorado. So anybody that makes as much beer as we do or more in Colorado sells in multiple states. Right. And we're able to sell it all in Colorado, luckily. <laughs> it's good for business that way. I'm going to come back to that. That's really yeah. interesting. But first, I have to ask you something, and forgive me, because I just moved to Colorado two months ago from okay. Seattle. Okay. And this place is absolute paradise for yep. me. The only thing that keeps it from being absolute paradise is there's not a lot of water here. No, there isn't a lot of so water here. So <laughs> tell me, how did they come up with the name Dry Dock? So Kevin DeLang, he was the one of the owners. He was the He's a history buff and studied history in college and was fascinated with, with boats from... I don't know exactly know what era that is, but you'd have to ask him. But he became fascinated mostly with sailboats, but just boats in general and, and the history behind traveling from country to country and probably wars and whatnot. So it's mostly his fascination with that. And for those that don't know, a dry dock is a dock that you pull a boat into that then you can drain the water out and work on like the hull of the boat and right. do repairs or maintenance on and also new boats before before they go into water and dry docks. I think people like to think and I like to think I'll hold on to it uh, like, that it, because we are in a dry area maybe that's something behind it but it's not they just <laughs> they like the name I think and went, right? and went with it so well it's it's an awesome name and yeah. the cans are so cool looking yeah so what would you say I mean, this is an awful thing to ask a brewer. So usually I talk to like the proprietor or somebody, yeah, marketing person. What would you say that Dry Dock kind of hangs his hat on? I mean, I know you guys sell that apricot blonde like a drug, but what would you say is Dry Dock is most known for? Depends on who you ask. Okay. <laughs> most people know apricot blonde, which is our flagship beer by far. It's a great beer. It's, it appeals to a multitude of different kinds of people. It's refreshing and it's still what's nice about it i think and why it's so attractive is it still tastes like beer so that's what we're known for maybe out in the world but i, th I think probably among brewers and where kind of dry dock got its name initially was probably from making authentic beers to style whether they're english or german beers uh, lagers, and I would say probably more lagers than anything. And that's kind of what I know Dry Dock for is is for making authentic uh, German style lagers way back when. And then to me also, I think the, the old ale is what stands out in my mind because that's what I would like to drink when I would come here before I worked here. So right, yeah. And customers can find Dry Dock pretty much everywhere in Colorado. Right? We're in most liquor stores in the state. You know, in the, in the southern, deep southern part of the state or deep southwest, we're there, but just not as prevalent. But yeah, we're 
We're in most stores and a lot of bars in Colorado, especially in the metro area here in Denver. So from a size perspective, I mean, nationally, everybody recognizes Oscar Blues. Most people recognize Left Hand. Right. And then kind of that next major tier would be like Great Divide, Avery. Mm -hmm. uh, Who else is big like that down here? Odell. Odell. Yeah. Oh, I love Odell's packaging. So, you know, I mean, I work in Seattle and Portland and San Diego. Like we see a lot of craft brews. but. Those are fairly well known around the country. Right. And, you know, probably three of the top five beer magazines are published in Colorado. Right. So it helps that there's there's some love uh-huh. on the streets. But would you say from a, you know, the state perspective and the Brewers Guild perspective, is Dry Dock like the next biggest? You know, I, there was just an article in the Denver Post that came out and it we they uh, listed the, the top 10 Colorado breweries by volume and we just barely missed the cut by a few thousand barrels, but yeah, we're we're like the eleventh largest by volume in the state. So does we're, that include Coors properties? No, that's oh, just okay. that's all craft brewers. Yep. Yeah, I think they included Oscar Blues in that, which is obviously owned by they're they're still considered craft, but owned by somebody else, Fireman Capital. But yeah, Coors and Budweiser were excluded from that. So we're there. We're I think regional size brewery by the Brewers Association definitions kicks in at about 15,000 barrels. And so we just hit that a couple of years ago. And so we're just, we're on that, that lower end. So we're still, I can't, we're kind of in between that large brewery and small brewery. <laughs> we're right in the middle. We're kind of in a, in a no man's land there, sort of where there's a lot of people that don't, even in Colorado, that don't understand how big we are uh-huh. they still think we're very small and then there's a lot of people that think we're still very small and we're kind of lie <laughs> right there in between we have a couple of those in washington i know mm-hmm. fremont brewing is right. humongous but they yeah. just started selling in oregon right and there's been several of those out of oregon as well that have you know just started selling into california and washington but it's a really interesting model because you guys do so much business in colorado i right. mean you could probably build another facility and try to I'll get to that in a second. Yeah, okay. So to you specifically, what did you do before Dry Dock? I worked at Backcountry Brewery in Frisco, Colorado, which is a brew pub up in the mountains. I was there for seven to eight years. And that was my only pro brewing gig prior to this. And prior to that, I was in title insurance. <laughs> so that's actually why. So back when I was in title insurance, I decided I, you know, I had gone to the Great American Beer Festival. I'd you know, done some research online about beers actually that's kind of how it started going to the great american beer festival and just randomly tasting beers i started drinking people called them micro brews at the time not craft beer but micro brews before i should have uh, legally anyway and so i that was kind of my drinking experience started young and i started with craft beer and over the years developed more of a fascination with it and decided that hey maybe this would be a cool thing to do for a living so I started studying it more, learned more about it. And then one year I was like, I'm going to go to the Great American Beer Festival and seek out certain beers instead of just going down the line or going just to the breweries that I knew of. And I did that and started studying it more and decided I wanted to be a brewer. And that's when I started homebrewing. I started homebrewing to learn the basics. I was traveling back and forth to Summit County and visiting breweries and was sitting at the bar. I was looking to move up there anyway to around Breckenridge, Frisco area and sitting at the bar at Backcountry one day and was talking to a guy about beer, and he's like, hey, we're hiring here. So I took a quote-unquote 
assistant brewer's job. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of months later, it was cleaning kegs and cleaning buckets and selling beer was the assistant brewer's job. So I I took a big pay cut and moved up there and, and did that. And then shortly after I started there, the head brewer decided he wanted to move on. And so was lucky enough that the owners at the time had at least a little bit of faith in me to do, to do that correctly. And Bill Keister was the brewer at the time, and he, he taught me a lot in the little amount of time that we worked together. And from there, it was a lot of studying on my own, asking people questions, going to seminars, and just absorbing and learning as much as I could. And when the dry dock position came open, I decided that would probably be a good fit for me, and here I am. And how long have you been here? I've been here for about two and a half years, I think, two years, somewhere in there. Yeah. Awesome. It's amazing how like they keep getting smaller, you know, I mean, right. the, the names are based on production volume, mm-hmm. but you know, there's craft breweries, microbreweries, nanobreweries, mm-hmm. now Pico breweries, mm-hmm. which is like the homebrew guy who's allowed to get licensed in his state. Right. Uh, there's so many, I mean, Colorado's just got a ton of those. Right. And people who just have the brew pub thing where they only sell out of the one location, they only right. do kegs, right. but you know, they're just sweating a two barrel system and they make one keg a day. Yeah. It's so wild. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so, from, let's take this up to like the 50,000 foot view, what do you see happening right now as a 2017 trend nationally in the beer industry or in specifically in the state of Colorado if they're different? From from the industry perspective, I think we're already seeing it. And it, it's people, I, th- I think, in especially in Colorado, but I think it's even a nationwide thing, that people are more interested in local beer. The shells are full of beer from, from Colorado here and then from other breweries too. And so shelf space is, is at a premium. I think there's a, a few opportunities or breweries that started small a couple of years ago that are able to start packaging and, and producing at a level that would be profitable. But I think those days are mostly gone. Like I, I would, I don't think we'll see many more stories like dry dock at least in colorado maybe in the southeast i think the southeast georgia florida because the Tennessee, marketplace is crowded yeah yeah it's crowded here i just don't think that not be, you know not because people aren't making quality beer but just because there's you know you have to make a certain amount of beer and it's a huge investment to to start packaging and and make enough beer to make a profit that it's a it's a tough tough row to do that these days so i think it's going to be more local, small breweries, making beers that, I, that the brewers like to drink and that I think people like to drink. But I think the consumer base is extremely uh, fickle group right now. And I don't say that negatively, but it's just people want to try different things uh, constantly. So it's hard to put your finger on on the pulse of what people want. So um, right now it seems to be the um, New England style IPAs and you know, a lot of those are good beers and, but you know, it's, it's too, I don't think that, I don't think it's going away. I don't think it's a trend that's like going to come and go, but is it going to be as popular two years from now as, as it is right now? So I, I think some of those breweries, um, there's a, a couple of breweries that I think have, that have made those beers well and have been able to go to the production level with them and they'll probably be successful. And I think they are successful right now, but I think it's going to be a combination of taking that risk and Hopefully you you have your finger or you maybe get a little bit lucky with knowing what consumers are going to want next. But Well, it's really interesting because it seems like when the whole, maybe two years ago now, the Shandy and Rattler thing yeah. happened and when cider was really booming. And, you know, I mean, well, for a brewery that 
pays a lot of bills with an apricot right, blonde. Right. I mean, fruit adjuncts were really big for a while. Yeah. And for the longest time, yeah, the Sculpin grapefruit IPA is really popular. Yeah. And the, I always had the, I always had the uh, Lost Coast tangerine right. wheat, right? Yeah. But, you know, there's a few fruit beers and the apricot blonde is like known all around Colorado mm-hmm. and the Rockies. But everybody was trying to do the fruit thing. Right. And, you know, a blueberry IPA just isn't meant to be, I don't think. You know, just, <laughs> There's some, definitely just, some good combinations and not so good That came in on the tail end of the, the everyone has to have a double, triple, right. mega IPA, mm-hmm. hop overdrive. And in some of the sours and maybe on a Saison, like some people have done a really great job with fruit. But right. I'm kind of glad that we're drifting back toward experimenting with the malts mm-hmm. and doing that hazy New England style and seeing a Western craft take on that style is really unique, but I'm glad that we're kind of back to basics. And I keep hearing a lot about the malting companies and how there's going to start being more of a terroir base of Mm -hmm. beer because of the malt side versus the hop side. Right. But I'm glad that it's sort of back to basics a little bit, at least for now, because I think there's a a certain big brewery that made this word, bad a few years ago but i think drinkability is the key and i think it always will be the key no matter what style of beer you're making if it's drinkable and people drink one glass of it then they want another one then you're selling more beer (laughs) well it's important to say that everyone's coming out with a session now this year too right yeah and that's been kind of a a staple that wasn't necessarily there before Mm -hmm. in the last few years we've seen a lot of innovation you've seen at gabf you know gluten-free breweries and things coming out that actually taste good yeah but if you're not you know ballast point or the you know lost coast is a lot smaller but some of these really well-known fruit ones it's kind of like chocolate wine was cool for like a year (laughs) remember that and wineries were spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars on tank space for cream from belgium so they could make chocolate wine right that came and went in a hot second right and cider has had a bunch of trends with weird varieties beer really had that i mean I bet Lining Kugel family is just <laughs> dancing because the last couple of years have been like right. just as sweet as can be. Right. But you're getting this weird convergence of like, you know, the Mike's Hard, Smirnoff, FMB kind of stuff mm-hmm. and the super sweet beers and some of the ciders and they all kind of converge. And there's that nasty, we're not allowed to call them wine coolers anymore. Right. That's very 90s. <laughs> they call them spritzers now. Right. Yeah. But you look at like Bartles and James yeah. or one of those that you've saw growing up it's from an apple base right i mean they're so similar but when the shandy rattler thing happened i got a little nauseous for a little while (laughs) well now and now we got the alcoholic seltzer right seltzer flavored oh that's right right? yeah Yeah. those are kind of interesting they are kind of interesting so why don't you walk us through kind of the core lineup that you package and you can find in retail and tell us maybe the nuances of what people can see when they're looking for dry dog uh well obviously we already talked about apricot blonde Nice orange can, hard to hard to miss. Apricot beer we talked about earlier that still tastes like beer. Next, we'll go to vanilla porter, and that's in cans and kegs too. A traditional porter with vanilla added, so real vanilla tastes great. We have our amber, dry dock amber, which is an ESB. We used to call it ESB, but now we call it amber. Traditional English ESB, so English malt, English hops, English yeast. Aurora water, which is really good water. Let's see, what else do we have? We have Hop Abomination IPA, which is kind of more of a traditional West Coast IPA, traditional Northwest hops. 
Uh, we have a new, I'm not supposed to call it new IPA, we're supposed to call it dry dock IPA, but it's newer than Half Abomination, which is kind of our take on a hazy IPA. So kind of brewed in some of the traditions of New England style IPAs. It's unfiltered. It has a high protein content from oats and spelt, but brewed slightly differently to kind of put our touch on it and to put a flavor and aroma that we like in those beers on that one. We uh, package our Meritzen seasonally, Doktoberfest, which is out right now, and that's, uh, that's one of my favorites because I like lagers. So <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something. I'm sure I am. Oh, yeah, sour apricot. So we have sour apricot, which is a kettle-soured version of our apricot blonde, which is we started making that last May, and it within a couple months, even though we only started making it in May, within two months became our second bestseller for the year, even over like our, our booty box, which is our mixed 12-pack. So those are the core beers. I don't think I'm missing any. So the next question is always, are there any exciting seasonals or small batch releases or anything coming? You obviously said the Hoptoberfest. Yeah. Doctoberfest. Doctoberfest. Sorry, that's what yeah. it is. Very dry, Doc. We have something coming out this winter. I'm not, I'm not sure... If I'm allowed to say what it is yet. It's not <laughs> pumpkin. <laughs> well, so we do our signature series. And those are our barrel-aged strong beers. Blyze is the biggest one out of that, the one people probably know uh, the most, which is a barrel-aged English-style barley wine. And are those taproom draft? Taproom draft and, and bombers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we actually have one coming out today, and that is a double pumpkin porter. Whoa. With spices that was aged in uh, Heaven Hill bourbon barrels for nine months. So we brewed a pumpkin beer, double porter, which we've made in the past. It's a double version of our uh, standard porter. And we've made different versions of that over the years. And this year we decided to make it a pumpkin beer. So it was brewed with pumpkin this year. It aged in the barrels for nine months. And then when it was done aging, we put it on the spices. So that will come out today. Goodness. Yes. <laughs> and then we have one other, we have a new one in that series this year, which is a Belgian strong dark ale aged in rum barrels. Those rum barrels are 35 to 40 years old a piece. They're really, really right. interesting barrels. And that'll come out in October, but that'll get uh, a little bit of coconut treatment too. So we're kind of excited about that one. So I'm sure that you guys, I mean, are such a large scale brewery that your supply chain is huge, but there, are there any really specific hop farms or barrel coopers or somebody that you work with? in partnership with barrels we get through uh rocky mountain barrel company uh generally and that's they're a broker that have uh, they have a lot of connections to people with spent barrels so that's who we got our bourbon barrels through and our rum barrels through and they get awesome like european stuff yeah they get all kinds of stuff they get fooders and it was kind of funny they started as a little little place next to cricket stave brewing and it was just one guy skyler and then they've grown to this kind of giant supplier to breweries nationwide so hops and barley is there anybody specific or kind of all over so we we work a lot with brewer supply group as a supplier but so when we use when we make an authentic beer we try to use authentic ingredients so if we make a german beer we'll use german ingredients you know so we get a lot of vireman malt for our german beers which is fantastic stuff simpson's malt for our english beers and then you know the hops and from those regions too we are brewing a fresh hop beer next week actually with hops from Peonia, which is out in western Colorado kind of on the other side of the Black Canyon not really close to anything else except for the Black Canyon right. and they're driving us hops next week and we have we're using 
Uh, we've used these guys in the past for Saison, but uh, we're using malted barley from uh, root shoot malting in northern Colorado. So I'm kind of excited about, about that them. beer. Yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of use a little bit of everything, and it's, it's hard on the big production level to use all Colorado ingredients. But when we, when we get opportunities to do it here at South Dock, we definitely do seven barrels at a time. Really interesting stuff about the hop availability this year and how the whole thing with AB and the South African yeah. hops and trying to bring stuff in from elsewhere. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Uh, obviously, I said I'm from Washington and right. the Yakima Valley in central Washington grows most of the continent's hops. Right. But you go down there and, I mean, almost all of it is leased to Sierra Nevada or Anheuser-Busch, oh, of really? course. Yeah, okay. I mean, they just... They'll put a 20-year lease on 20 acres, okay. and it's just all theirs. Yeah. Just wild, because you see all these just hills as far as you can see, and hop vines are so cool looking. They are. They're so tall. Right, they're, they're big, big giant weeds. They grow so, fast. The next question is another one of those kind of part A, part B, in case the politically correct answer from the Dry Dock team and your personal <laughs> goals happen to be different. What do you think is the future goal in the next five or ten years for Dry Dock? You know, we like steady growth, and I don't. that's not... That's not politically correct or, you know, we, we like steady growth and we'll grow. And as long as the market lets us grow, I think we'll continue down that prep path. We don't have goals of growing to a certain size. We kind of like the organic growth. And But you guys are currently crushing Colorado. So yeah, the natural yeah, would be outer wholesaling or more tap rooms. We still or... have room in Colorado that we can sell, I think. It, okay. you know, we obviously have the big metro areas covered, but I think there's still room for growth for us here, and we're still growing. We, grow, we grew 15% last year over the year before, and we're still, you know, we're at least right now double digits ahead of where we were last year. So I think there's still opportunity for, for us to have growth in, in Colorado, there's not a stated goal of going out of state. I think that's kind of a play-by-ear situation and see when we get to that point, if, if that's what we want to do, we'll do it. But we don't, we don't have a stated goal of, like, we're going to reach this many barrels and do this. So we every year we kind of analyze where we're, where we're at with volume and what we could have done more and what we could have done better. Our primary goal is always to make uh, quality beer and try to make it better every time. So, you know, at the end of the year, we kind of, well, we have to decide before the end of the year if we're going to order more equipment. But we've ordered new fermenters every year, a new bright tank this past year. So when probably October rolls around, we'll reassess that and see what equipment we need and what room for growth we have, and we'll go from there. So in this series of questions, I always like to do kind of the the plan, the goals, and sort of the dream. Yeah. So I'm really interested to ask you this. And again, you can venture from the politically correct answer <laughs> of the leadership team of Dry Dock or the business plan. And this isn't as much money for you as it is for some of the small breweries I've interviewed. But if I handed you a check right now for 500 grand with no strings attached, <laughs> what would you do uh, from a you perspective? Is there like a beer you've always been wanting to make or do you yeah, need more I think, barrels? I, I or? think a lot of people, and it's, it's always fermentation capacity and... I think a lot of us would like to see either the Hellas or the Pilsner in a can. So that would probably be goal one. And, you know, from a brewer's perspective, it'd be nice to have lagering tanks for that. So we could just set it aside and let it age as, you know, as long as we need it to age and pull it out when it's ready. So I think that would be... Yeah, it's hard that'd to be have my, tank my time. Fun, that'd be my fun goal for sure. <laughs> you know, we, I was able to talk them in. I, I know for... 
for a while, they for a couple of years, they'd been trying to get the Oktoberfest in Cairns, and I told Kevin, I was like, we can make this happen. It's like, I can make it happen if you if you let me make it happen, especially with the crew that we have. So they let us make it happen. I'm not going to say it was easy. <laughs> it took up some space, but we've made it happen the last two years. So I'm glad in some ways that it's becoming a lot more acceptable by the consumers in the marketplace to have the cans with the you know, plain aluminum with the sticker wrap, wrap yeah. because it's really hard to put out seasonals when you're buying truckloads of cans. You yeah. Know? We're, we've been talking about that. I you know, that's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of talk behind that and it would be nice because then we could do more stuff more often. Like if we just wanted to brew 120 barrel batch. And so basically one fermenter for us and pump it out in cans, that would be cool without It makes me order. glad because <laughs> you guys have such a big base of staples. Right. Because, you know, for a lot of the medium-sized brewers and the small guys, if you're not right on the street corner of the people in your mile vicinity mm-hmm. or putting out a new small batch every single month, right? you know, like you can make 100 cases of chocolate something and we right. can go and pre-sell all of it, right? Right, yeah. But that's not selling the stuff that they can get year-round or the stuff that's going to yeah. keep your name going. It's all this kind of crazy flash in the pan. And when everyone's doing that, right. it makes it really confusing for the gatekeepers. And people come in and try it. They say, oh, I want to try that chocolate thing again. And now it's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. So it's cool to be on a base where you guys can actually do that. And your packages are cool-looking and yeah. bright colors and <laughs> very recognizable. So are there any final takeaways or anything you want to leave about dry dock? Are there special days of the week where people should come in here? Are there festivals they should look for you at specifically? Well, we're always at JBF. We're always at Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines, which is, I think that's a favorite of consumers and brewers. And that was pretty neat, too, because you see a lot of brewery owners there, some of the high-profile people, and a lot of the brewers, too. At South Dock, we're open seven days a week. It's a neat facility. It's, it's kind of where it started. You know, five days a week, there's usually somebody working in the brewery. And then at North Dock, you get to see the, the big stuff, the 40-barrel brew house and the big fermenters and the big bright tanks. And we're gen- generally packaging cans down there five to six days a week and brewing five to six days a week. But Jeez. unfortunately, the, the, our tasting room, which is called the canoe room down there, is open Wednesday through Saturday. But if you're flying in or, in or out of Denver, that's a good stop because it's only about 10 minutes from the airport. So cool. Great. And can you run back really quick through the leadership team? It's a husband and wife co-founders, right? Yes. Okay. So Kevin and Michelle, and then they're the owners. They're the only owners, and they're kind of our leadership team too. And it's just organically grown over the last two years. Yeah, it started as the brew hut. You know, I I haven't been here those 12 years, so I can't really say what their methods or plans were, but just knowing how they are now, I think it is just kind of, it's a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year analysis. Happy snowball. Of, yeah. uh, what do we do next, and do we want to do it? You know, right. So that's there's always a happy medium between being successful and being happy, too. You know? <laughs> right. Well, Alan, thanks so much for your time today, yeah. and I uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Everybody should check out Dry Dock at their local store for everyone in Colorado. Yep. Anybody not, when you come here, you'll be able to find it like at the first store out of the airport, or go to North Dock. Yeah. So check out drydock.com. Yep, drydockbrewing.com. Drydockbrewing.com, yep. and keep up with the calendar of events. You can find these guys everywhere. Come into South Dock. It's beautiful. There's awards all over the wall. There's barrels, plenty to see and taste, and always new seasonals and everyday favorites. I guess we're signing off yeah. for now. Talk Sounds to you good. soon. All right. Cheers. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to the Big Brew Theory Podcast. We'll see you next week with more of the best local brews and news. Cheers.